0: Tonight's talk is a continuation of this three-month mini-series on the three characteristics. This is one of the classic teachings of the Buddha. And this year, we're taking the groups of threes and kind of highlighting different aspects. And Treyu made a nice little poster here in the room around So we talked about dukkha, we talked about impermanence, or anicca, and then finally here, anatta, or anatta, and non-self. So these three characteristics really are holograms of each other. They can't really separate them out as all by themselves, that they really are almost representing this, this nature of conditioned experience. And they're so tied together. So even though tonight we're focusing on this third one of non-self, of anatta, you can, if you listen to it, you can see how they, the other two really come into it. For example, dukkha, the noble truth or the, the fact that there's an insufficiency, a sense of unsatisfactoriness, a sense of suffering, that's very much tied to selfing. That sense of creating that sense of self, dukkha will arise. The Buddha said that. The clinging five aggregates, this way one of the maps used to create the sense of me, is the same as dukkha. And the second noble truth the origin of dukkha really focuses on this whole mechanism of how the self is created. And then in impermanence, this in Nietzsche, the fact that things are always flexing and changing, we can often get a sense of that through the seasons, through our bodies, through our mind states, but it also really applies equally to this sense of me. Then we start to look closely, that sense of me isn't as solid as we take it to be. It's arising and passing away if you hold something as solid that actually isn't, we create dukkha for ourselves. So, anatta or anatta, non-self, is one of the, really the foundation of the Buddhist teachings. It's one of the, I think, the most core aspect from my own perspective. It's also one of the ones that's just harder to understand. We can get a sense of dukkha. We can understand when there's this subjective sense of suffering in our minds in our bodies, we can get a sense of impermanence. You can see how things are always changing and fluxing. We just tune into something like a sound. We you know that it goes in waves. It's not this constant tone, it ebbs and flows. But the sense of self is more elusive, right? Because it's like we look out and there's a sense of, well, who's talking right now? Who's listening? Who had dinner? Who has this issue or this struggle in their life. And yet the Buddha said, this is really the key piece to his teaching. When the, if not the key, one of the key ones. So tonight I want to explore this, this topic with you and hopefully make it so it's, it's applicable and, and you can get a sense of it. And also hopefully onward leading. And hopefully there's some parts you won't understand that kind of brings you your heart forward into seeking to understand and to ultimately release into your own understanding of of non-self. And I realize that some people in the room may have had really strong um, experiences of non-self without falling away. Others may have had a taste of it. And some of us may not have any idea what non-self means. And so we'll kind of hold all those perspectives. And I want to explore three aspects tonight. The first one is this this thinning of self, this thinning of this idea of self and how that starts to happen through our practice, both intentionally and also just automatically it starts to happen just by the act of meditating. And then I want to explore the, the actual falling away of the self when it actually vanishes actually goes back, we see through the illusion and what that experience kind of holds for us and how we can get a sense of that. And finally, the integration of non-self and life, how those two come together. Right? We spend most of the time in this first part, the thinning of self. Now this thinning of self is this phrase I heard Rodney Smith use. He was doing a non-residential, and this is pre-pandemic, it was over at Nalanda West. And he just used that phrase, and I think it's such a skillful phrase to, to hold because sometimes we get in this absolute sense that there's either self or, or no self, which is true. And there's also the reality that through practice, the sense of me becomes less and less invested in, becomes less solid. It starts to lose some of its, its power, some of its momentum. It's this gradual cultivation. Gradual cultivation that leads to this, this um, spontaneous awakening. And as I reflect on this, this thinning of self, I'm going to touch upon two ways that happens in our practice. One is just almost this natural way that's happening behind the scenes as we're just following the meditation instructions, learning to meet our minds and our bodies, our emotions in this meditative way how we start to disengage from our patterns. The other way is through inquiry or investigation. when we actually look with curiosity to the nature of this sense of me to see how solid it actually is. So let's explore these two aspects a little bit. Now, this this natural way, in some ways, if we all just practice very sincerely without ever hearing about these three characteristics, they would be revealed to us. We couldn't help but see them. They would, they would show themselves to us. In fact, some schools of meditation, they don't really talk as much about these characteristics. They just teach you how to practice in a clear way, in a very you know, direct way, clear way. And that very act of practicing starts to dissolve us, starts we start to fall away because of that. And with this insight practice that we, we do here, this um, insight meditation, Vipassana practice, it starts to show us this nature of self, often kind of in a, an indirect way. We just start to notice, that sometimes we don't even notice it's happening. I want to kind of highlight that a little bit. Just the act of, of sitting down and practicing, being still, this is already opposite much of what the self does. The self is so engaged in having opinions and fighting with things and trying to figure things out. And, you know, what do we say for meditation instructions? We say, just meet the the breath or a body sensation or the moment, just how it is, without a judgmental quality, without trying to change it, just that kind attention. Okay, so this is already a very different way of relating to experience. Our own experience, experience of things around us. And have that steadiness of attention. Okay? These two elements actually start to show us the nature of, of non-self. You start to show us how that it actually starts to reveal. And we might not even realize that's happening. But I, I would almost guarantee that if I called it out, you might notice like when you're in the middle of your day and you're busy doing your work or you know, doing your relationships or whatever you do in your life, and you take a moment, let's say half an hour to practice, to contrast that sense of how you are, how defined you are, how solid you are. You know, when you're having an argument with your loved one, when you're trying to get your kids to school, when you're trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to navigate retirement, whatever you might be doing, you kind of know exactly who you are, right? It's like, yeah, I know this. I'm, I'm trying to do something, I'm struggling against something in life. And if you meditate, especially if it's a meditation that you're able to let go to some degree, there's a way that starts to fall away. And you're in that moment less defined. You're less established. That's that thinning of self. Have you ever noticed this subjective sense of, of you, of your, your body, for example, becomes less defined when you're meditating? You're not reinforcing it through your ideas about your body, what, what is a hand? What is this, this experience that we have? It, if we're not thinking about it and just actually experiencing it, it starts to become less defined, less, less solid. And there's also some of the major patterns in our life. Start to, we start to let go of those as, as meditators. These are some of the major expressions of the sense of self the ways the self shows up, patterns that work to, re- to reinforce it. Can We actually start to release that just through this simple act of practicing meditation. So one is this friction with how the moment actually is. Okay, The friction with how the moment actually is. This has a wide range of how it shows up. It includes control, it includes judgment, it includes comparison, it includes that sense of really wanting something. I want the moment not to change is a way of relating to the moment, right? I want it because it naturally is going to be changing. So I want it to, to not change. Or I want it. I don't like this moment. I want something better to happen. The sense of constant activity that we're always trying to tweak the moment to make it a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable, optimizing it. There's also the, the quality of of having um of not being simply at rest with how the moment is. So this has very powerful ways it shows up in our lives, you know, when we're really struggling with an argument with someone else. And not not negating the need to navigate the world in all the ways which are, are often difficult, but more this fact we don't have the option not to do it. And you know, we often don't have the option to not argue, even when things are okay, we often are trying to still change the moment a little bit. And it goes down to a very, very subtle way this happens. Have you ever noticed when you're meditating, when you feel very still, there's still a little bit of, you know, doing something with the moment. You might be doing a nice Dharma coaching saying, okay, do a little bit more of this, a little bit more Samadhi, a little more Metta. You might be tweaking it, but you're doing it from a meditative standpoint, but you're still doing something with the moment. Okay. So that starts to quiet down. You start to learn deeper and deeper elements of that. As you take that to very profound ways, that's also starting to loosen the sense of self. Even not so profound ways, just the act of, okay, I'm going to meet the moment, just how it is. I'm going to learn to see my reactivity open to it and try to let it release. So I actually keep making contact, perceiving the moment, how it actually is. And there's also our opinions and ideas of the moment. Okay. When I say the moment, I mean, whatever is happening, any of the senses, any thoughts, any experience, this is what the the moment holds. And of course there's constant moments one after another. It's rare that we, experience something without relating to it through our thinking mind is you, we we sense something we experience something and we are relating to it from our past experience whatever experience that's like this how does it fit into my memory you know, how does it fit into my what i learned as a child or as a professional or whatever it might be we're fitting it all into our our history this is, of course, helpful, right? This allows us to work and do things very efficiently. And again, it, it's often not an option, though. We can't turn that off. And we apply it at times when it's really not appropriate or helpful. You know, how often have you misperceived something, misperceived someone's facial expression? And when you know, they thought they were really unhappy to see you, and maybe they just had an upset stomach. You know, you, you just misperceive that whole thing our email. You know, it's, they say 90% of our communication is nonverbal. So what happens with email? You know, so much of it's left out. So easy to misperceive. And yet we create this whole world from it. We create this whole reality that then we start to relate to. And it doesn't take long to see how much suffering there is related to that, back to the quality of dukkha. So, meditation, when we're practicing it, we don't say, okay, think about the breath. Tell me what the breath, you know, tell me all your ideas about the breath. We talk about sense the breath, sense the actual felt quality of the breath moving in and out of your body. You know, hear something, hear a sound, not the label, okay, that's a bell, that's a bell, that's a bell, but what's the actual sound free of your thoughts? Like that short phrase from Samuel Green that I, I often like to read, that everything carries the burden of what we know until we let it be itself again. Everything carries the burden of what we know until we let it be itself again. This is one beautiful way to to define how meditation is. We're learning, thing, learning, th- learning to let things be themselves again. We're learning to let ourselves be ourselves again, instead of the momentum of our lives, of all the things we, you know, all the way our, we hold ourselves tight in our, our mental constructs. So these elements of the friction with how the moment is, and that that sense of labeling, the meditation instructions are designed to start to release that, to start to let that quiet down. To actually meeting the moment, just how it is, free of our mental. Idea, so this has the effect of enlivening us so this has the effect of starting to loosen this sense of self because these these mechanisms are really tied with how the self shows up. I don't know how many fifties um, science fiction fans are out there, but there's a movie called The Forbidden Planet anyone seen that one okay, so it's a for those who haven't seen it, it's like it's black and white. And of course, the spaceship lands on this planet and there's this, this person who's there and they're, they're kind of navigating the relationship. And there's this something comes in and starts to destroy things and kill people, but it's invisible. Okay, but you can see the footprints. It's like this, these massive footprints in the dust. And then there's all this destruction. I sometimes use that. think of that movie in terms of we can't often see the sense of self, but we can see the footprints. We can see its expression, kind of the direction it makes, its path it leads, the actions that it does. And so meditation is designed to help us just by the simple instructions. Just pay attention to what your breath is doing. It starts to disengage that mechanism. That has the effect of thinning the self. That's why sometimes you feel very altered after the meditation, because you have let go of some of that sense of self. You kind of open up and it's like, there's a different relationship to your environment. There's a different relationship to someone else. That's because the self is thin. As a teacher on meditation retreats, you see this even more sharply as, as people come in on the first night and they're tired and their brows are furrowed and, and then they start to practice. And after you know a couple of days, five days, seven days, there's a way that their, their faces are relaxed. They're open. They're receptive. They're present. Their senses are open and present too. Okay, that's this process of thinning the self. So I think it's helpful to kind of call out this process sometimes. Because we don't often, sometimes we don't realize that that's what's happening it's actually, because this, this process of thing, the self, is threatening to the sense of self. Because it's gonna, getting unemployed, it's getting a pinch slip, you know, it's becoming, it's I can see that, okay, I'm not going to be around forever, this ego starts to be threatened by it. And there's often a sense of, of disease or, or fear that comes up in a relationship to it, and almost an existential fear, because it is, in some ways, a dying of that sense of self seeing through the illusion. We'll talk more about what, you know, what that looks like in a, in a little bit tonight. And so that lets you know that when you feel that, you say, oh, this is actually what the process is supposed to do. This is what the meditation is supposed to do. It's actually working the way it should. Now, sometimes it's actually not helpful to focus too much on it because we get into our heads like, okay, where's the sense of self? And we just kind of get to, it becomes this extra barrier. Because the self, it really likes projects. And as a Dharma practitioner, one of his favorite projects is try to get rid of itself.
1: <laughs>
0: right? It's like the cat trying to chase its own tail. Or, you know, like that. I forget the artist who, there's this image of one hand drawing the other hand. That's sure. And so it's just this constant, you know, like a Morbius strip that has no beginning and no end. Like we're we're searching for the self, but the self is doing the searching. And it's this slippery thing that can just, you know, we just get, because the self can't find itself. It can't see itself. It can't sense itself. It's like if I took a hammer and I made a hole in the wall and I wanted to fix the hole by using the hammer some more, it doesn't work so well. I just make the hole bigger because it does one thing.
1: Right.
0: So this, teaches us that we we have to learn to become very sensitive to this process of selfing and to learn to be comfortable with it, to start to actually orient our practice toward it. So then this, this is the natural way that practice shows up. And now let's move into discussing the inquiry aspect. This is still under this, General category, this thinning of the cell. Now, another way is this, This sometimes we call it investigation, sometimes we call it inquiry. It's a way of directing our attention toward some aspect of the teachings, some aspect of the Dharma, To see, how does this actually show up? We can do this in terms of dukkha, and permanence. We can do dukkha or suffering, impermanence or anicca. We can also do this sense of, of self, of who we are. And I find this is helpful to bring to the forefront also, because sometimes we can practice for a long time, not realizing that we've just adopted a more subtle way of selfing in relationship to it. Instead of allowing the, the meditation practice to really sink in deeply, we've kind of created this sub, sub sense of self that's the meditator. You ever notice that when you meditate, you kind of load, it's like you're loading a program, like, okay, here I am, I'm meditating. Quiet, I'm meditating. Can't have any distractions or can't have any thoughts which aren't supposed to be there. This is kind of the attitude that we don't even realize we, it's like we turn on our computer and the operating system is turned on right away. So starting to highlight this to actually look at that gives us the option not to load it that way. And it's really a deep unloading that happens, a deep unloading of that sense of self, that background perspective. Because if we're not as aware of it, it's going to tend to just come up because of the momentum of our, our delusion, of our ignorance. Because this, how we relate to this moment, any moment, can either reinforce the sense of self or can start to thin the sense of self. So that's one of my, my hopes is that you start to get a sense of that. The way I'm relating to this moment right now, is it reinforcing that sense of me or is it starting to help thin that sense of me? Is that me becoming less established, less strong? Now inquiry is a, a powerful way to learn this because it again, directs our attention to where that sense of self shows up. And this is actually a very if you read the original suttas with the the, the Buddha close as we can come to what the Buddha taught, this is a common way that he would teach as a process of inquiry. He would often tend to do it around the five aggregates. This is actually the the first or second um, talk he gave was showing how the aggregates, you can't find a sense of self in it. Guiding people to looking, he sensed a certain ripeness or readiness would say start to look at these aspects that you take as being you. Look, take the physical body. Take perception. You know, take pleasant or unpleasant. Take all this activity, the sankharas. Take consciousness. Consciousness itself. And the basic question was: Are you really there? Is that really who you are? Is that what you are? Is that does that define what you are? And one of the, the premises was, okay, the sense of self, if we ask ourselves, it kind of feels like it's always here, right? I, I had, there's a sense of me who was working on this talk and was working earlier today and did this other thing in the weekend and is going to do something in the, in the future. I kind of connect the dots as being continuous. But in fact, is this arising and passing away, right? So the Buddha would say, is it as continuous as you think it is? Is it arising out of something and falling back into something? Maybe that something it falls back into and arises out of is actually what we are, the essence of what we are. This is the basis of of many non-dual practices and some Zen practices. It's basically, it's to turn your attention toward this this experience of self. And to see it's, is it as solid as you think it is? Or can you even find it? Can you actually sense it? Can you actually locate it? Even now as, as you're listening, you can just play with this. Like, okay, where is the sense of me? Where is it located? You know, there's a, there's an assumption if we don't look closely that the self is here. It's hearing, it's sitting, it's in whatever, whether you're here in the room or in your home. But where is that
1: located? Is it located in your thoughts?
0: Is it located in your body? Is it located in your perception? Can you actually kind of touch it? Can you actually kind of locate its exact location? Or is it something that seems to be a little more changeable, amorphous? Okay, we might have a, maybe a triggering emotion if you feel the contraction in our body. Okay, I'm here, I'm feeling, I, I'm here in my contraction in my chest. But even as I look at that, is that really where I am? Here's another way to think of it or to explore it. There's this, this sense of the witness, the, the observer, the person, the sense of you who's sensing this moment, who's aware of this moment. This is a, a big stage as a, as you learn to meditate. Because instead of being lost in the moment's experience, you actually step back a little bit and observe what's happening. You sense what's happening. Okay, here's this this thought, here's this emotion, here's this body sense coming and going. You start to get a sense of that. That means there's some part of you that's witnessing, that's sensing it, that's observing it, that's knowing it, that's outside of that object. Right? You get a sense of that. This is this is anyone who meditates. This is happening at some level. Even noticing when you're getting lost in thought, there's still something that's noticing that. Now, what's noticing that noticing? Okay, what's noticing the witness? You step back a little bit more. You can say, get curious. Where is that witness? Where is that located? Can I find that? Can I, can I sense it? Because you get a sense that there's, there's an aspect of you who's observing, but there's another aspect that's observing that. So pretty soon it becomes a little bit like those, when you have two mirrors of hopes from each other and you're staying in the middle, your image gets reflected from one to another into infinity. It just goes on and on and on. Right? So this is that mechanism of, of selfie. Even if it gets very thin, it's still active. It's still doing something there. It can get more and more subtle. So this is an interesting thing to practice is just start to notice where is that sense of me? And okay, there it is. And what's observing that? Okay, there that is. And what's observing that? So you just kind of back up more and more and more. This is all process of thinning that self, right? Both the natural way it shows up, then also more through inquiry, like who am I? Where am I? So now let's move into the second piece I wanted to touch on. is when the self actually falls away. It actually vanishes. You see through the illusion of that self. Because there's a significant difference. There's a world of difference, really, between the self kind of looking subtly at the self. That subtle quality of, of, of observing the witness and observing the witness of, of the witness it just goes more and more. But there's still a little bit of that rub. There's still a little bit of doing something with the moment. Can feel You can feel very connected to the moment. And there can still be a little bit of friction with the moment. And the friction doesn't mean like you're fighting it. It just might mean that there's a little bit of separation. There's a little bit of, of you observing something outside yourself. You sensing something outside of yourself. And when that self falls away, whether it's for a moment or for a longer time, sometimes minutes, sometimes hours, sometimes days or months, sometimes it falls away permanently. When that happens, there's often this this fundamental sense that there's something different about this moment. Something is missing that has always been there. And that's that centralized perspective of me having this experience, of me having this experience. And yet there's still something having this experience, but it doesn't make any sense to claim it as I, as me or mine. That part falls away. And one of the hallmarks of this this kind of falling away is is one is the non separation the sense of we can talk about it from non separation we can talk about it from the sense of of non um, yeah, non separation or we can think of it as of unity or of connection. There was a book called um, What the Buddha Taught, and in it he was talking about how Rahula was talking about how. The Buddha would often frame things in negative, and that's a tradition that continues today. And the reason that author said was that he did that was because if you give the positive of something, it's easier for the mind to grasp onto it. Interconnection. Okay, that's something I can, I can get a hold of. Non-separation is like it's pointing to it's, not, it's outside of ideas, outside of what you can grasp intellectually. In other words, it's not something you can use the self to understand. It's beyond what the self can understand. Now, two ways um, often you hear these, these beautiful phrases from enlightened masters capt- often capture this, this essence in a very clear way. A famous one is from Dojin, the patron saint of Zen. It's called to study the Buddha way is to study the self to study the self is to forget the self to forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind as well as the bodies and minds of others drop away. No trace of enlightenment remains and this no trace continues endlessly. Right? So this is a, you could study this little paragraph for a long time. But there's this studying it to actually study the self, to notice how the self arises. By doing that, you actually start to forget the self. You're, the self falls away. And when it falls away, there's, he, his words are, they become actualized by myriad things. The lack of, of separation. Complete connection. And when there's that actualized by myriad things, your body and mind as well as the bodies and minds of others drop away. And I love this last sentence. No trace of enlightenment remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. Right? So these are words spoken from outside of the sense of self. One teacher said, when you hear these kind of words that don't make sense, it's it's about not trying to make it make sense from our normal self-perspective, self-driven perspective, but see, well, what perspective does this make sense? What perspective it made sense? Now, I believe that this, this anatta or this non-self is not something that's just unique to Buddhism. And here's a, a translation from Eckhart, Meister Eckhart, so not... Um, Eckhart Tolle, but Miser Eckhart, who's an, I think, 6th century um, Christian mystic. So one should love, here's his words, one should love God mindlessly. By this I mean your soul ought to be without mind or mental activities or images or representations. Bear your soul of all mind and stay there without mind. Remember that first part of us talking about releasing the thought around things. Moreover, I advise you to let your own being you sink away and melt into God's being God. In this way, your you and God's her will become a completely one my. And you will come to know her changeless existence and her nameless nothingness. And you are come to know this, her changeless existence and her nameless nothingness.
2: Right?
0: These, these descriptions, when we listen to it, they don't make sense from our normal way of thinking, our way, normal way of perceiving. But they, they draw our heart forward. They draw our heart forward into the mystery of that, mystery of this, this awakened state. Now, this falling away is not something that we can make happen. You know, Many people have tried to make it happen and force it and force it and force it. And it's actually when something lets go in them is when that awakening happens. There's so many Zen stories and stories within our own lineage of, of people. Some of those, those poems of, of the awakening of the nuns, how something falls away, something breaks, like the water pail breaks. And in that breaking, they realize that was a sense of self held together that falls away. We can't force it. We can't make it happen. But we can make ourselves, as one teacher said, we can make ourselves more accident-prone, <laughs> right? It's almost another teacher talked about you, like you can get to the door and you knock on the door of awakening and you, you can't make it open. You have to let it open at its own timing, its own its own pace. And be available available for it. And so this this natural process of this thinning of self starts to incline us toward this. starts to make us more aware of this this possibility. It makes us more available. And then when when the self falls away, you see there's nothing that needs to be changed. There's nothing that needs to be done differently in this moment. Yeah, there may be still activities in our life we have to do but there's not that that very core relationship the moment has to be a little different than it is and this brings us now to this last section this integration of non-self now one hurdle that the the self often puts up it's kind of a defense in itself is like basically you know who's going to run the show if i'm not in charge you know who's going to run this show if i'm not doing myself stuff and in some ways it's it's really a, a good question because we we seem to do a lot of stuff through that sense itself, Right. So how can we navigate the world? How do I still remember who I am and how to do my job and you know how to how to navigate the world. Christina Feldman once explained it this way that there's this navigational self that still remains that allows us to navigate the world. With this kind of conditioned self, this self that's tied to suffering, that's tied to these three characteristics, that's what falls away. And often this yeah, this sense of, of fear comes up because the self doesn't know what it's like on the other side of it, the outside of it. And that fear is actually a good trail marker. It tells you you're going the right direction. So for most of us, we learn how to kind of come up into that fear, and we turn away and eventually... Something it falls away at some point, we see on the other side of that illusion of self, and we see the peace that's there, the ease that's there. And for most people, there's this this integration is often a process of forgetting and remembering. Okay, forgetting and remembering. That we may have this this time of awakening of seeing through this sense of self, and then we forget. Another way to think of it is that we have, we don't awake, most people don't awaken 100%. Maybe they awaken in some areas. Maybe they awaken through the meditation practice or on a retreat or through some life event. And then something else can pull them right back into that sense of self. And this is why like spiritual bypassing is such an important topic to realize. Because we can get so enamored by the the bliss and the peace and the ease of this non-self that we deny all the parts which aren't quite on board with that. It's like, oh, you know, I'm going to ignore my, my neuroses. I'm going to ignore these patterns. I'm going to ignore conflict. right? But really, to our practice needs to embrace those, actually start to see, once we get a taste of this non-self, then it's a process of noticing, where do I not see it? Where do I forget it? And then bring our heart to that. To notice that, okay, in this situation, in this conflict with my loved one, with my difficulty in this situation, how does that self show up? Can I actually study the self to the point I forget it, to actually see through it? And when at some point then we start to actually... Turn toward this is really the maturity of our practice is that willingness to meet those things which are unresolved with as much heart to actually notice that to see how, how here I'm identified, here I've created that sense of me and that sense of, of experiencing not self or that orientation toward it becomes like this north star that you can guide yourself back to to find your way back into, into that stillness, into that emptiness. All right, let's just hear that poem by Miser Eckhart again. And we'll sit
2: for a moment or two.
0: One should love God mindlessly. By this, I mean that your soul ought to be without mind or mental activities or images or representations. Bear your soul of all mind and stay there without mind. Moreover, I advise you to let your own being you sink away and melt into God's being God. In this way, your you and God's her would become one, become a completely one mind. And you will come to know her changeless existence and her nameless nothingness. All right, let's just a quick quiet, sit quietly for a couple of moments, letting those words settle. Before we see if
1: there's any questions or sharing.
2: All right, thank you for your kind attention.
0: I want to actually just speak a moment about the homework. So hopefully online you're able to receive that. It should be in the chat. And if you got came had to leave or something and came back, um send a quick chat to Bob and he can text support. And Bob, you can repaste it for them. But it's on anatta, a so non-self. So non-self is central to the Buddhist teachings. Notice how patterns of comparison, judgment, and thinking serve to reinforce the sense of self. How does insight meditation start to thin the self automatically around these patterns? Start to sense how one way of relating to experience reinforces the self while another thins it. Okay, see, I misplaced a question mark in there. But basically, start to notice this, again, this sense of when you're caught in some pattern of judgment, of comparison, of even of thinking, step back, do a little step back and notice how is the sense of self? How established is it? How solid does it feel in that moment? Okay, you start to notice that when you're really in a judgment phase, You know exactly what you're judging, right? You know exactly what you're comparing. You're more established in that moment. Now notice how the meditation instructions start to thin the self automatically through these patterns. Because again, we don't tell you to meditate and judge that breath. Which is your best breath? Oh no, which is your best breath this last 40 minutes? You know, when you get lost in thought, make sure you judge yourself a lot first before you come back. You know, we don't say that. We keep telling you, don't judge yourself. Just meet the moment just how it is. Now, notice when you start to do that, step back and get a notice. How solid are you? How solid do you feel in that moment? That teaches you this difference. This is such a critical difference to start to get ingrained. Because that becomes this really essential guidepost whenever you're practicing. Am I practicing in a way that reinforces the self or loosens the self? We're trying to make it more obvious, but you can notice the very subtle quality of it. That subtle quality then becomes this. When you're, when you're collected, when there's a stillness, when there's a availability of heart for whatever, maybe the situation calls it forth, start to notice that self. Releasing into surrendering, letting go. All right? Does that make sense? So next week we'll have a chance to. I'll do a, a recap of this talk and kind a of reframe it or reorganize it or something in a shorter way. And we'll have a chance for you to to talk about your own way of practicing and understanding this this nature of self. So let's open to any questions you might have here in the room or online. So online, it's probably best if you raise your virtual hand because we may not not see your physical hand for a little bit. And those in the room, you're welcome to raise your physical hand. Yes, do you mind coming up and grabbing the mic so they can hear you online? Actually, it's over here this time.
3: Hello. Um, So my question is around stories. Yes. Um so I feel the Buddhist philosophy there's a lot of emphasis on like you've been saying today, not getting caught up in stories, the self included in that. Um, you know, just meeting the moment head on. But also I've heard people ask questions along the lines of, well, do I drop every story? Like how can I be a human? How can I relate?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. How can I relate to other people? And keep my job and you know do all these things that kind of require us to you know get wrapped up in these stories a little bit um and I think you've said that yeah the answer isn't to dissolve all boundaries and just live in a a mush you know it's it's keeping track of these things and stories can be well you haven't said stories but um yeah having having labels for things and and um even some awareness of yourself is Mm -hmm. is important right so yeah what's the answer like what
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right well i'll give give you an answer for tonight anyway it may not be the same answer i give you next time yeah it's a great question i think it's an essential question and one way to I think to reframe it, like going back to Dojin's words, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Okay. So let's just stop right there. So stories, you know, mythology, you know, family heritage, you know, our, our cave patterns our wounding, you know, the hero's journey. All those are ways of understanding the sense of me, who I am. And it's this interesting paradox because we're learning how to fully kind of um, in some ways, embrace that sense of me, and also realizing that that's not the the end of the story. There's also these other elements. There's also this big, bigger perspective. So it's it's like tonight's talk was really talking about anatta, non-self, but really ultimately there's this integration that self and non-self actually come back together. That okay, if I I'm showing up and I have all my history, I have all my Things I've experienced and I can share those. I can learn from those. I can integrate them. Same thing. I can appreciate your your journey in your life. We can use different kinds of you know methods like union way of looking things or archetypal ways or mythology. All those things that help us understand this human condition. And we can also realize the human condition is arising out of something and falling back into it. So it's like this mystery that we're kind of learning to come back into that that emptiness. So in some ways, we actually have the best of both worlds. Because from the side of just the story is only true, the sense of me is only true, that also becomes a prison, too, because it's not just positive stories we tell ourselves. There's all of the horror stories. There's ways to reinforce that self-hatred and that self-disminishment and how we enforce prejudice and racism and sexism and, and all those different ways we discriminate against. Against other people is all held in the stories, right? and so we start to realize that that's actually something that's conditioned, that's arising and passing away. Then it starts to be this freedom to pick and choose to say, "This is actually a helpful story to inhabit right now, and I can fully be there." And whether it's the story of how do I do my work, how do I do my job, but the difference is when there's when you're not, and that's not the only reality you're able to release that and come into another story or come into nothing, just emptiness and stillness. You know, come back into that sense of interconnection. So there's a way that you become very fluid and able to to dance with how the situation is. Well, we don't have that capacity so much when we haven't really understood that nature of self because it's like, that's me. I can't give up my identity. I can't, like when my, my daughter, I talked about this a few months ago. My daughter went first, left home to go to college. There's that kind of crisis of me as a father that well, I can't protect her, I can't watch her all the time. And you know, I use the the analogy of the the diaper bag. I wanted to be the prepared dad to be able to help solve her all her problems. It's not appropriate when she's going to count college, you know. It's <laughs> like so I gotta let her be her own person. And then you know she needs help, and then I I step up into that. But it's, there's that fluidity that starts to happen. Does that make sense? So it's basically you 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 gain that that capacity to to see what's appropriate and to listen to life's feedback. It's like, okay, this is this is a good way of showing up. Like, oh, this isn't a good way to show up. Release into the stillness and see what else arises. Yeah, it's a really important question. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right, Ellen, go ahead. All right, so this hey, is now. Tim, hey
4: everyone. Um yeah, just something I wanted to share, Tim, um, and, and see if uh see if something comes up. Um generally in my practice, the um practice has been so good for relationships. Um but recently I had some ex- uh expended time uh extended time um with somebody i'm really close to and um halfway through it they kind of turned to me and they said you know I, I i feel like you know you've changed i feel like i i don't know you anymore and i don't know if this was related to practice or not but in that moment i i related it to practice and it brought up this sense, um, you know, and I realized, you know, I could make it a story in different ways, but it brought up this sense of like, I, I'm just not going to be able to uh control this anymore. Like where this relationship goes and so many things in my life lately, it's just like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really not not going to be able, you know, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know where this is going anymore. And I'm not, you know, I, I I'm letting go of, of where this is going. um, And that it's just like, kind of like, wow, you know, it was kind of like, wow.
1: Yeah. Thank you,
0: Alan. That's, there's a way that there's, there's a grief, right. When you start to see that, because we realize we can't go back to that same way of being who we were because we just don't believe it in the same way. You know, and there can be this, this can be a, a grief, can be a sadness, like because so many of our relationships are kind of based on that. Here's this kind of construct of me, meaning another construct. And we start to see this emptiness and we really see it in a deep way that there's not, it doesn't form the same way. Yeah. There, we aren't, we aren't the same person. We're not the same person we are not the same being and there's there's a a sadness in how that sometimes people can adjust and we you know reform around that and sometimes it's like there's not that same way of landing because you just don't care about the same things in the same way you know there's there's a number of things in my life that i used to care care so much about that there's so much energy and so many of my actions and really driven around it. and there was people who were doing that same activity and there's like yeah we're really in this together and i started to practice and i was like that stuff didn't make sense in the same way because so much of it was really trying to enhance the sense of me right and then there's and then and is you don't you keep, there's a way that you, you can't control it's like, okay let's see how this unfolds how this arises and you know being as available as you can this doesn't mean you have to shut people away or turn people away you can meet people You know, some ways you can meet them more deeply which they may or may not appreciate <laughs> yeah yeah does that help at all, alan i appreciate your voicing that
4: yeah thanks for helping me hold that tim and everyone and letting me say it yeah it just um yeah it's nice
0: yeah that's part of the, the power of sangha is the the like-mindedness that you know people can understand that perspective understand that experience who've also practiced who are also going through it. it's like yeah i can i can relate to that well in other other arenas in our life people are like what's wrong with you is there something something's not not going the right way but yeah, you know, we realize that's part of the, this process All right. What else is out there? Yeah, Beth. Right. Beth, our intrepid AV person tonight. Thank mm-hmm.
5: you. Um, first, I want to say thanks to Alan that like I identify that with very, very seriously. So thank you for voicing that. Um, my question or what, what I also identify with is what you were saying about um like working or working on thinning the self being a real project. Oh, yeah. And that's something that I really have a hard time with. I feel sometimes like I'm playing whack a mole. And then I like, oh, there's the self. It's coming up again. And then I realize that, like, there's also somebody holding the mallet. So I think my question is when this gets like really project based. Is there any utility in just like saying, I think we're going to step away from this project right now and look at something else? Like, I'm kind of wondering if I need to turn my back to allow things to thin a little bit more. Or if I'm working, like, am I working too hard at like stretching it out that it's just not, it's getting, it's like one of those liquid solids in preschool, they call it oobleck, which is like thick, um, cornstarch mixed mm-hmm. with water and if you pound on it it feels like a solid but if you just put your hand gently on it yeah. it begins to kind of sink through um so my question is what do i do
0: are <laughs> right, you hang out there in case we have some dialogue back and forth yeah i think that that question is it, such an, a yeah a sincere question and let me ask you a Counter question, have you seen through the futility of that? Or do you is there a part of you that still believes that you can you can figure it out?
5: I I I laugh at the futility of it. Yeah, totally. It's um I realize that it's absurd, but my mind is so invested in having a job, and that feels like such a worthwhile job, mm-hmm. right? Because I truly believe that it is. And my mind's like, I got this, I can totally do this. I'm really good at thinking. Yeah um and no matter you know and i and i no matter what my heart says like you can take a back seat we got this it's still like it still wants to fight for its job yeah,
0: yeah it still believes it can it can solve it, it can figure it out and so that i'm tempted to say just you know, see if if you can let the mind can, can the mind if as long as there's not too much tension in the process part of it is that you have to see completely through sorry i'm trying to <laughs> manage the ca- camera sorry online people you're trying to there's still a party that believes that that i mean basically that what's in charge is more the mind than the heart right it's like the default is like you know the mind's got me a lot of places it's done a lot of good stuff so it's got to work here too. Right. And so it's, it's like, so really your question is how can I, how can I fail so ter- so completely at this that I don't pick it up anymore okay. <laughs> that, I, that the mind actually says, Oh yeah, I can't, I can't do this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cause it often, you know, there's been times when it has felt like this is like the only action is this is this letting go this dropping of something that I've been carrying, and so it's like you have to and what makes you do that okay here's here's a okay, so, sort of, you know just fail more completely then <laughs> next question so
1: <laughs>
0: make don't make the sense of trying to figure out a problem because that's really. It's like you have a couple, you have a couple of people going in there because you're you're whacking it and you're trying to whack the whacker and whack 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 whacker, so it gets gets kind
5: of
0: <laughs> it gets pretty noisy, doesn't it? So just say, okay, I, I'm not I'm going to completely befriend this. Say thank you, mind, for how you served me. Oh, you're trying so hard, you know, because when you relate to it from a place of friction, that's really the mind relating to itself from friction from division. Right. The heart doesn't see that. Yeah, so this is like trying to bring the heart into the process. But just like the basic instructions, feel your breath. Doesn't matter if the breath is deep or shallow. Just notice it. Same thing applies to this process. That's, why I love that, back, that. The simplest instructions apply to the deepest things. Right. So just befriend that. Just see if you can acknowledge that. Cause any, even a little bit of friction around that pattern is going to keep maintaining it. And so, and by doing that, then you start to see, and what I mean by that is really start to become curious about, like, let's say this is the striker I'm using to beat myself into non-self, okay, you're going to pause the activity, but really get to notice, wow, there's all these different shades and nuances and textures of it, just really sincerely be curious, and just be willing to hang out there as long as it takes. But it's it's really that attitude shift that I'm gonna basically love this pattern. I remember there's this this story I heard about at the end of World War II. There's some Japanese soldiers who were so isolated they couldn't hear that the war was over, and they're still you know in their fighting mode. And what they did is they had someone dress up as a you know as an admiral or as a general in full in Japanese uniform and walk out. And bow to them and thank them for their service and say, you you can, you can relax now. So it's like having that attitude of a profound gratitude and appreciation for it with no friction at all. And, and just start to notice where the friction is. Okay. Oh, here's this friction. Don't have friction with that. Or at least don't have friction with the friction, the friction, you know, wherever you can catch it.
5: Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I think that what makes it really difficult for my mind to like relinquish that job is that so many of those layers of self are built on like fear and protection and like, I'm going to make everything okay by like, you know, creating this certainty, this solidity, right? And so like, letting go of that protection is really vulnerable, and i think that like i like i'm aware of that which you know goes back to mm-hmm. the the ultimate question of like just releasing into that vastness and being okay with that trusting that it's yeah. just it's just that
0: yeah so that's that's a good good um, additional information
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that that sense of fear of not doing the pattern that's that tells you you're right on that cusp you're right on the edge of things it's like when that fear is showing up It's like the self is like hanging on its fingernails you're like no and (laughs) and because it feels like it's going to let go and fall into nothing which it is actually but that's okay (laughs) when teacher (laughs) described it like you know you're you're in free fall and you're like ah but it's like you go past someone else who's in free fall and they're just kind of relaxed and during the ride say, yeah, this is how it is. It's okay. So part of it is we, so we hear, play with this too. There's, there's times in your life that you're just naturally, um, your heart is naturally available. There's a stillness that's there. Okay, may, these are going to be kind of quiet times. Times don't have a lot of jazz or a lot of energy. Just maybe it's just like noticing the beauty of nature, you know, seeing a sunset, you know, maybe, you know, watching your, your child sleeping, you know, there's just this sweetness that, okay, there's, there's, doesn't feel like there's nothing needs, there's like nothing needs to be changed in this moment. And just see if you can get a taste of that, that safety of that stillness, because it, it feels completely unsafe from the, the mind's perspective, but from the heart's perspective, it's that's what it's yearned for. And so you start to get a taste of it. So you start to have, not only thinking it, but also starting to just gently appreciate that stillness. And that way it kind of reassures the mind it's okay. It's okay to set down this. You'll still, you're still be here when I need you. You'll still be available. All right. Thank you, Beth. That's a, uh, hopefully a helpful exchange for from, from many of us. All right. Anyone else like to ask or share anything?
1: Yes, going to come on up.
2: My name is Eddie. Um, My experience of the ego is that uh, it's pretty aggressive. Um, Given a chance it will dictate our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, as I reflect more on it, uh, for my guru, I picked arshitsu Because, you know, like Ram Dass says, he loves, he serves, he remembers. And that's all good. Mm-hmm. It's more work for me. Um because, like I say, the ego. It, it, our experience with ego, from um, our culture, is that you're right. Um, you go for it. Um, not so much. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can structure your life, and, and I'm discovering that through the practice that. He, why can my doggie do this so easily, and I struggle with it and it's just because that's that's the nature of ego, and it's better to just surrender to that and say um, he's he's a he's a older soul than I am, and he's just a year and a half." <laughs> Um, so I take him as my role model. Great, thank you, Eddie.
0: Yeah, the ego is definitely very powerful, and I think the heart ultimately is, is able to hold that ego. I think that's that's a key piece. Is what what can hold the ego is is the heart. It can have that spaciousness of holding. And a lot of it is just starting to notice those times when you're you're being pulled through with a heart. Like um, Eddie was with the, the climate change. Did a walk at Stewart Stewart Park this weekend, and you know, you're know you touching the trees. You know that moment of contact, feeling the wood. You know that was not coming so much from the ego. It's just that opening to that experience.
1: My biggest uptake was well, even thought. Trees remember us. Mm -hmm. Trees give us our oxygen without which we wouldn't survive. And in gratitude,
2: all we can do is say, I got a surplus carbon dioxide. (laughs) (laughs) We got too much.
0: Yes. Yeah. So his his, um, takeaway, one of the takeaways was that the gratitude of the trees, uh, the trees remember us and are happy to take our excess carbon dioxide. Yeah, so there's that natural way of relating. All right, so I want to just do a couple quick announcements. Thank you all for your
1: questions and engagement.